There's a truth that I've learned, and I've shared before in this church, and it's the truth that, that uh, Henry Ford said so many years ago. He said, if you think you can or you think you can't, you are right. Proverbs chapter 23, if you're there in your Bible, look what the scripture says. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So in this truth, it's much more, I have to understand, if this is true, it is much more than I have to realize. It is much more what I do to myself than what others do to me that will cause success or failure. Because God has called me a success already. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. Proverbs chapter 23, I want you to hold your finger there and then open to Psalm chapter 5. How many ever saw the movie, the, well that's a musical, golly it's 50 years old or, or 60 years old. Actually the original movie, uh, uh, Pygmalion, was, or not movie, uh, it was a uh, stage play, Broadway play. Pygmalion by George Bernard Shaw was back in the 30s, I believe it was. Is that correct? Some of you movie buffs back in the 30s. Well, you and I will remember the movie with, uh, with uh, Andrew called My Fair Lady. They redid it back in the 50s and, and 60s. Uh, was it Julie Andrews? Is that who played the lady or was it... Um, Audrey Hepburn, that's the other one I'm thinking of. Audrey Hepburn and then the uh, British guy that played in, in Dr. Doolittle. What was his name? Yeah, that guy, whoever it was. Anyway, it's a great, great movie, but it's going to be the premise for my message today. If you look at the title of your message, it's called The Law of Expectation. In the movie, or the the Broadway play that was turned into a movie called My Fair Lady, originally from the Broadway uh, show Pygmalion with uh, George Bernard Shaw, there was a professor by the name of Henry Higgins that found a, a, a street seller, a, a cockney they called him back in the day. This lady was of lower class, if you will. She was, you know just as close to a street urchin scenario as you could possibly get. Her name was Eliza Doolittle. And this professor began watching her life and understanding her life and said, what would happen if somebody would begin to expect something different for the outcome of her life? There's people in this church that you have always been this, you will always be this, and you will die this. Whatever this might be, fill in the blank. 
I share this with you very respectfully and very humbly. I was raised a Catholic. You know why I became a Catholic? Because my family was Catholic. You know why they were Catholic? Because their family was Catholic. There's many people in church today only because their family goes to that church. They're not in church because of a relationship with Christ. I've shared this story, and I'll share it with you again in brevity. A man came to our, our church in California. His wife had came to our church for many, many, many months. She was immediately, you could see that God had gotten a hold of her life. She was faithfully tithing. She was faithfully getting involved in ministry. And she was going beyond, much like, if you would, this Eliza Doolittle, her, her appearance did not seem as much. But when she gave, she gave, you know, I'll just tell you right now, there was one time she dropped $23,000 in the offering. That was their tithe. Her husband was not coming to church. He was a hardcore Roman Catholic. Same thing I was. His name is Ray, and Ray called me a few months later. I started, when I started seeing these big checks coming into the offering, I started uh, asking the account, our, our bookkeeper, I said, what is this? Who is this? And uh, I knew uh, Laura was her name, and I knew Laura, and I had built a relationship with her, but I didn't know the whole story until one day she disclosed it all to me. And so I started talking to her, and I told my bookkeeper, I said, let's uh, hang on to this stuff. Even though she's giving it, her husband's not here. And in back of my mind, I'm thinking, this guy could call at any time and say, hey, everything she's given, I want returned. So we just kind of hung on to it. Well, the phone call came. About three, three, four months later, Ray calls me. My, my uh, assistant, pastor, there's a man by the name of Ray on the phone. And I knew exactly who it was. And I said, well, how's he look on my schedule? Just go ahead and schedule him, bring him in. Uh, He came in a week later, sat in my office for almost three hours. Now listen to me. He had saw something in his wife's life that he had never seen before. He said, I don't know what happened to her. I want to know. He came to me and we talked for almost three hours about the difference between Christianity and Catholicism. Now, please, if you are Catholic here, I don't say this despairingly. I don't say this wrongly, but there is a huge difference. He sat in my office there, and I talked to him, and this was the statement he made after we prayed to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. With tears in his eyes, he's preparing to leave my office. He said, Pastor, I came here today believing in the church but I leave believing in Christ. The thing that we have to understand is God expects so much for our lives. Is it less that we expect than what God expects? Should we not expect the same thing? Professor Higgins began to expect for this Eliza Doolittle began to expect to see her in different ways, in different forms, in different formats. There's a truth that I've learned, and I've shared before in this church, and it's the truth that that, uh, Henry Ford said so many years ago. He said, if you think you can or you think you can't, you are right. 
Proverbs chapter 23, if you're there in your Bible, look what the scripture says. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So in this truth, it's much more, I have to understand, if this is true, it is much more than I have to realize, it is much more what I do to myself than what others do to me that will cause success or failure. Because God has called me a success already. I go back into the Old Testament with the man by the, the, uh, the name of Gideon. Gideon, the Bible says, we know the victorious story of Gideon, how he defeated a massive army with 300 men. And God showed him how to get all the way from 30,000 to 300 and still defeat this army with tens of thousands of people. But Gideon's life didn't start out so much. They were being sieged by these armies and they were coming in to destroy their homes. And the Bible says that Gideon was found. The angel of the Lord found him. You know where they found him? Hiding behind a grilling, a, 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 a milling wheel where the animal would go around and crush the grain. He was hiding in there. Listen to what the angel of the Lord said when he showed up to see Gideon. He looked at Gideon hiding, cowering, fearful, cowardice. And you know what the, the angel's statement was? Almighty man of valor. Ladies and gentlemen, when God looks at us, he looks at us victorious. He looks at us with valor. He looks at us with great victory in our lives. And we must understand that we as Christians have to begin to change the way we look at things. We, the, the book of Colossians says that we need to set our eyes on the things of heaven if we're ever going to accomplish the things on earth. I got one amen out of that whole statement. Whether it's ministry, whether it's business, relationships, or just everyday life. It is you and I, not the devil, not the world, that determine what we expect out of life and living, whether it's good or bad. How many know people that the only good thing that they can say is a bad word? Don't everybody raise your hand. Maybe it might be you. I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, how many know people, you know, that, that their best day is when there's only one cloud in the sky because they can't convince themselves fully it's going to rain? I love Thomas Jefferson and his statement. He said, he said, a pessimist is somebody that feels bad when he feels good for fear he's going to feel worse when he feels better. <laughs> but is this not the picture that many of us live in in our lives? Now look at me. I know God didn't give me this message just for me. I know it's for somebody else in here. Is it for anybody here? Okay, good, good. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't going to preach to myself. In the psalmist... In the fifth chapter, in the third verse, look what the, the psalmist says. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and underline this in your notes. And I wait in expectation. You know what the psalmist is saying? He said the very first thing I need to do in the morning is get God involved in my life. The very first thing I need to do when I get up, I don't care if it's a good, I don't care if I got on the bad side of the bed, the good side of the bed, I don't care what side of the bed. I need to get God involved immediately. I need to lay my request before him immediately and then earnestly and patiently wait for him to do what I prayed. You say, Pastor, is it that simple? Very much so. 
Let me take you into Matthew chapter 8. Jesus is having a conversation with the centurion. The centurion says that I have one of my servants. Now listen to this. Centurions usually don't give a hoot about their servants. This centurion cared about a servant. He said, I have one of my servants that is sick. Would you come and take care of him? And, and the centurion, or Jesus, uh, uh, or the centurion replied to Jesus when he said, uh, the centurion didn't ask him to come. He said he was sick and Jesus offered to come. And listen to what the centurion's reply is, was. He said, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But underline this in your notes. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. Now understand, this is not a Christian. This is a Roman centurion. This is a pagan. This is a guy that has no regards for God and no regard for Jesus. He said, just say the word. See, just like Professor Higgins watching Eliza Doolittle, he knew there was something going on that somebody just had to believe in. Are, are you with me? Just say the word, my servant will be healed. But listen, listen what he says. Listen, and please grab a hold of this. It'll, it'll revolutionize your life if you do. He said, for I myself am a man under authority. He said, I know the authority I have because I know the authority I'm under. Church, I'll oh, get this, please. I know the authority I have because I know the authority I'm under. Come on, let, let me say it again. I know the authority I have because I know the authority I'm under. I don't think you're getting it. I know the authority I have because I know the authority that flows in my blood. I am a king's kid. I am under not the king. I'm under the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm under his authority. So he says, because I know whose authority I'm under, I know whose authority I have. Grab this, please. He said, I tell this one. Say, underline that. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell another one, come, and he comes. I say, under that, underline that, I say to my servant, do this or do that, and he does it. Look at me. This was a man that understood authority, and he expected that authority he understood to come into play. Am I making sense? Listen to what happens. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he said to those following him, now, look, 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 look. He's not talking about a Christian. He's not talking about a follower of Christ. He's not talking about anyone that even looks to God or believes in God or has any relationship. Look what he says of this man. Truly, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. Amen. Now let me correlate the two. Your faith is correlated to the authority you understand you walk in. Could it believe, could it be that our lives are in disarray because we forget the authority we're under? And the authority that we walk in? Is this making sense this morning? In Matthew chapter 11, let me go a step further. You see, what Jesus was basically saying is this man knew who he was. And he knew who Jesus is. 
The question I have to ask is, do we? In Matthew 11, the Bible says, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, if you believe that you have received it, it will be yours. Pastor, I prayed to win the lottery and I didn't win the lottery. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, 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 the sustenance of your life. I'm talking about the authority of your life. I stand up in situations, uh, not all the time and not real regularly, but periodically, where I'm basically standing on my faith in Jesus Christ. People are saying this, people are saying that, and literally they look to me to see what I say. And you know what I say? I say what the Lord says. And it irritates the heck out of some folks. Has that ever happened to you? I've told people for years, if you won't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. See, the Bible says that if we will believe that God wants us to receive it, it will be yours. Now, that's a whole other sermon we're not going to get into today, but let me get quickly and ask simple questions. As a Christian, what are you and I expecting out of this life? Here's a statement that the Lord gave me many, many years ago. It's in your notes. Everything we do is a reflection of what we believe. Every action we take is simply a reaction based on the attitude of our heart. When I am counseling people and I'm dealing with people on, on various subjects and I get into certain specificity, I ask usually two questions of the people I'm talking to. One of those questions is, why does this bother you? Why is this affecting you? Because the only person that has that answer is you. Why is this bothering you? Why is this affecting you? It's usually because it's a negative connotation. They have something that's, that's affecting them negatively or bothering them negatively. And then I ask the second question. If it was to never change, would you still be okay? And if they tell me, well, no, I'm not going to be okay, then I always go back to the first question. Why? Why do you let it bother you? Do you see how it's very simple? See, I'm too simple to eat, folks. These are the kind of things that govern my life. I sit down, why is this thing bothering me? And then what I do is I address it. I address it, I deal with it, and I move on. Okay? And if I can't move on, then I have to ask myself, why can't I move on? So if this is true, we have to ask ourselves a simple question. According to the psalmist, are we limiting God by our words, our actions, and or our attitudes? The psalmist writes in Psalm 78, again and again, listen to this, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Who did? The children of Israel. Well, let me take the children of Israel out of the picture. Who tempts God and limits God? His children. You and I as Christians. Why? Because we do not remember his power, his authority. We do not remember who he is. Therefore, we don't live the life as we should on who we are. Paul was writing to a young man by the name of Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And listen what the scripture says to Timothy. Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear. 
That word fear, you can actually turn into the word timidity or insecurity. God has not given you a spirit of fear. But listen to this, a spirit of power, authority, dominion, victory, domination. Has given you the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now let me take it back to the centurion. The centurion said, I know who you are. All you got to say, do is say the word and it's done. He said, I understand authority. And I understand whose authority I'm under. That's why I know how this thing works. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to understand that we are the ones under his authority. Therefore, we have all authority. Let me spell it out very simply. Matthew chapter 28 says that he is given all authority, go. What that literally was was a transitional statement. He said, I've been given all authority and I give it to you. Go and disciple the world. You have the authority. Are you getting this? When we fail to expect in our everyday life, it is simply because we fail to remember what God has already done. The law of expectation, the very first law, is you get out what you put in. You get what you expect. And if we go through life thinking, well, hey, I was, I was raised poor, I guess I'm going to be poor. Well, folks, I was raised poor, and I'm not going to live poor. Pastor, are you rich? I'm rich in Christ, yes. I'm rich in love, yes. I'm rich in this world, yes. Do I have a million bucks in the bank? No. But I can sure live like it. Do you know why? Because I know whose authority I'm under. And my God says, I shall supply all of your need according to my riches in glory. Are you with me today? Is you getting a little bit of this? The psalmist said in the, in the 119th Psalm, the 67th verse, look, look at this. He said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Before I had nothing, it was because I was trusting something else. Before I was doing what God wanted me to do, I was astray. And I love the 71st verse. I don't know if I put it up there or not. But the 71st verse says, I thank God that I, went, that, I, that I went astray. Because now I know what his word says. I understand authority. You see, in dealing with the law of expectation, it's our attitude expressed in and by our words that affect our actions, whether they're victorious or of defeat. We see many accounts in the scripture de declaring this very thing. And let me wrap this up in the next few minutes. Matthew chapter 12 says, how can you being evil speak good things? And look at this. I think I have it underlined in your notes. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But I say to you, not just what you have verbally spoken, but the idle word that you sit down and just dwell on. For every idle word that man speaks, thinks, gives thought to, will be given account on that day, except what's under the blood of Christ. That's why the Bible says if a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, he's already committed adultery. That's why the Bible says that if you hate your brother, you've already committed murder. 
Because there's something to understand about the law of expectation that God is the authority of our lives and we operate under that authority and therefore we should live our lives as ones under authority. Can you say amen? The Bible goes on to say, for by our words we are justified, by our words we are condemned. We must remember that what lies inside of us will always find its way outside of us. If we, uh, I find that we need to be careful of our thoughts because they truly could break into words at any time. I've shared in this church for years that God loves us so much that he gave his son to die for us just the way we are. Yet God loves us too much to expend the love of his son to leave us the way he found us. He found Gideon hiding next to a grinding mill. He called him the way he looked at him, almighty man of valor. And then he proceeded to help speak that into his life and push that into his life. That's exactly what happened to Pygmalion. That's what happened to my fair lady. The professor began to speak into her life what he expected to see of her. There have been study after study after study. You can go out. It's called the Pygmalion effect. You can go out and and Google it, and there's all kinds of studies where they'll take a half a dozen kids in the classroom, and they will tell the teachers that these are uh, excelling kids, and they'll... They'll pull them out of all the rest of the kids. They'll leave them with them. But the teachers will think that these are excelling kids. They're just normal kids. But they were told they were the excelling kids. And every one of those kids excelled in their class. Because they were excelling kids? No, because the teachers were convinced they were excelling kids and the kids became convinced they were excelling kids. Why? Because somebody poured a little bit more into their lives. Do we really, number two, expect to see God's promises come to pass? I encourage you, this Wednesday night I start a brand new series uh, on the promises of God. And I'm going to dig into the scripture over the next few weeks and we're going to talk about the promises of God. And what God has said he wants for your life and mine. I encourage you to come starting this Wednesday night. Romans chapter 8, let me just break it down. It says that, that God works all things together to those for the good, to those who love God, and to those who are the called according to his purpose. In John chapter 10, verse 10, the Bible says, I have come that you might have life and that more abundant. Listen to me. I'm not talking about pie in the sky faith. I'm not talking about blab it and grab it or name it and claim it. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about you're living a life before God and God says because you're understanding the authority that you're under, the authority you're walking in, I'm going to make sure that along the way things are taken care of. Here are two characteristics that we find in this passage. One depicts our feelings towards God. The other describes God's feelings towards us. First, he says, to them that love God, all things are working together. You see, what literally this is saying is that you and I, because we love God, we become persuaded that he who gave his own son cannot help but to do the very best for us in everything and every way. He who gave himself, he who laid his authority down to give us authority, 
that God is working it all together. The second part is to them who are the called. You say, oh, pastor, what's that mean? Specificity? I mean, there's a doctrine out there that teaches there's an elect group of people going to heaven, and if you want to or not, doesn't make a difference. It's God's choice, signed, sealed, and delivered. Well, that's not a biblical doctrine, though they preach it as one, and I can blow it out of the water a thousand times a day. But the reality, the thing that God is saying, that word, the called, literally, if you look up the Greek, it says those who have been invited and have accepted the invitation and came. Let me break it down a little bit further. You were invited. The Bible says all that call upon the name of the Lord (coughs) will be saved. You were invited. Well, you accepted the invitation. You called on the name of the Lord. But that's not where it stops. For a lot of people, once again, they believe in the church, but they haven't committed their life to Christ. That's where their life starts. He said it's not just enough to be invited. It's not just enough to accept the invitation. Now you have to take it and become part of it. Am I making sense? This is the law of expectation that God has in his word for you and for I. Psalm 34 says many are the afflictions of the righteous. That's the ones that are living for God, that are leading their lives in Christ. But he said God will deliver us out of every one. I love the 23rd Psalm, not just because it's the 23rd Psalm. I love the 23rd Psalm because of the message of the 23rd Psalm. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Ladies and gentlemen, he said, I'm walking through it. I'm not propping a tent up and living in it. I go through things. I'm walking through the valley. And I don't know about you, the last time I saw a valley, there were two mountaintops attached to it. So I might be in the valley today, but come on, mountaintop, I'm coming. I might be in the valley, but I'm headed to that mountaintop. I'm headed to the peak of victory. He said, I walked through the valley. And listen to this, listen to this, listen to this, listen to this. It's only a shadow of death. The shadow of a snake can't bite you. The shadow of a boxer can't hit you. It's only a shadow. And then he says, I'm not going to be afraid of it. Because you're with me. Oh. I'm going to go home and read the 23rd Psalm. It's just good. Whether things are dark or light, crooked or straight, he said, I'll work it all. I will cooperate in the midst of us to bring you to the final accomplishment of its design. I'd encourage you to read Romans 8, 31 through 39. Where Paul said that that neither life nor death nor height nor principality nor power nor anything else can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. God's will accomplished accomplished to his plan will cause us to do great things. But if we will not become a part of God's plan, we will never accomplish God's will. Therefore, never fulfilling the purpose in our life. In Paul's day, Paul knew that the Lord was gracious. He knew the things that he had been taken through. So as I wrap this up in the next five minutes, I want to make a statement in your notes, number three. The law of expectation very simply is that you and I determine to expect great things 
in our life. Whether you look at him as a, as a good guy or a bad guy or a, a notable guy or not, the guy made a pretty interesting statement. We tend to get out of life ex- exactly what we expect. We tend to get what we expect. So let me ask you a question. What do you think God has for you? Do you have any idea what he has in store? Do you know? I do. I know what God has in store for everyone in this church. Pastor, how? Because I read God's word. Let me just take you to one scripture. Now, it's very blatant, but I'll take you to hundreds of scriptures if you want. The Bible says, I know the plans I have for you. Jeremiah 29. I know the plans I have for you. The thoughts I have to think towards you. Once again, let's go back to Pygmalion. Let's go back to the professor and Doolittle. He began to think the thoughts and to put those thoughts into actions and develop her life. The same thing that God wants to do. You say, well, where'd George Bernard Shaw get this idea? Where do you think he got the idea? From God's word. The same place you and I. He said, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not evil. Listen to this. Ones to give you a future and a hope. And I love the King James translation of this. He said, my thoughts are to give you an expected end. Never forget, brothers and sisters, the people who accomplish the greatest things for Christ are the people who expect to accomplish the greatest things for Christ. We must realize that without expectancy, we lack purpose. If we are to achieve anything in this life in and for God, we must exhibit this attitude that the Roman centurion had, that Professor Higgins had, a spirit of expectation, understanding that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let me take you to Ephesians chapter 3. Listen to what the scripture says. Now to him, it doesn't say to Andrew, it doesn't say to Leland, it doesn't say to Chris, it doesn't say to Ricardo over here, it doesn't say to Tina or John or someone else, it says unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think, read the last line with me, according to the power that works in us. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.